The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Okay, fam, we are in uh, season two, episode three of our Sex and God, 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter six, so if you want to start flipping to chapter six, and I did realize during first service, and I forgot to change, we're missing the last part of the verses, so you might want to flip open or scroll open to your digital Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse 12. And this morning's text, we're coming off the heels of what's in the book of Corinthians, quite radical stuff. And we've been talking about how this is the sex series, so it can be difficult uh, for, for those of you who have kids. You're like, okay, how are we going to talk to our kids about this? This morning's service, remember, it's coming off the heels of a man who was having sexual relations with his stepmother. And then the church was bringing down massive sexual uh, liberties. And Paul says, you have to know how to rightly talk to the people in the church about sex and sexuality. And this week's passage and the question we're going to answer is why in the world does sex exist and i don't know if you are anything like me if you grew up in the church we have a lot of rules about sex a lot of rules about sex and we've shouted them out from time to time during this series but i want you to know that today if you're so inclined you can text in any random questions you have to this and i didn't pregame anybody or any questions although i did get a note from jesus first service so i want to read to you the note that jesus texted me are you ready for this I was impressed. I didn't know that he had my number, but he did. This is Jesus. I wanted to tell you, great job at teaching my children about me. You did an excellent job at weirding out the kids. And that was it. Somebody's pretending to be Jesus, and now I have his or her phone number. And if it was this service, I would have had my money on who was pretending to be Jesus, but it was last service, so I don't know who it was. So Jesus, if you're out there. And it wasn't someone named Jesus, by the way, because I know the only Jesus we have at the chapel. We're going to get into this, and you can text in questions. That's the number. It's also in your bulletin. Why does sex exist as Paul is going into this very powerful passage? So, Lord, bless us. Give us eyes to see your truth. Give us ears to hear your wisdom, and let these thoughts and meditations of our heart be on you alone and primarily. In Jesus' name, amen. After the incest, after the sexual judgment, after the questions, Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, in quotes. He's quoting something the Corinthians were saying. Because the Corinthian church looked at all of these sexual sins. They said, hey, we can do what we want. We have Jesus. Because last week we ended on the verse that reminds us we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified in the name of Jesus. So we can do, we're free. We're free in Christ. Now, if I were to ask you a question, because this is where we're going to squeeze the juice out of the lime this morning. How free are we in Jesus? Because this topic has brought a lot of very heavy religious type judgment. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and I want to see if you squirm or rejoice. Chapel family, visitors, are we free to sin? So we got a no, we got a yes. Okay, here comes the battle. Who said no? One of you guys over here, no and yes. Okay, here we go. Are we free in Christ? What does freedom mean? Free? Like how free are we? Free is for you? If we're free, do we have to have, does freedom mean we have to have the ability to blow it? Okay. Because this topic is going to bring out the worst in people who have a heavy lean toward religious rules, who love the rules. The Corinthians said, yeah, this guy's having sex with this person. These people are having sex with other people, temple prostitutes. But if we're washed and cleaned, 
aren't all things lawful? Now Paul goes right to the heart of it. He says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And he quotes again, all things are lawful for me, but I would not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, right? When you're hungry, you think, I'm hungry, I need food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. The word for sexual immorality is porneia, where we get the word porn or pornography. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. It's, it's fascinating to me to think about sexual sin in the church. Because, um, and I, I pondered this question deeply. I'm like, Lord, if you knew sex was going to have such a dominion over people, why did you make it? Why couldn't we be just people that reproduce like like just simple cells and we wanted to make a new one we just mited it out and bam a new person a whole new ryan right there next to me i don't remember which one it is but it's mitosis mitosis melosis whatever you chemistry bio people tell me i was just giving the teenagers a time to jump in why why not why did god say i'm going to create this act well it's coming to to light in this but we have to know something first Sex will seek to, sexuality and sex will seek to have dominion over you. Because it is a powerful force. It is one of the most powerful forces in the world. I have seen many, many great, high-ranking, powerful, competent, self-controlled type A people get brought down to nothing. Because sexual desires crept in and created something that broke. But I need us to, to ask the question for ourselves. This is a very platonic type of way to talk about sex. The, at the time that this was being written, the thought was, when you're hungry, you go get food. If you have a sexual desire, you might as well go satiate and go satisfy that sexual desire. And Paul says, you might be free in Christ, but is it helpful? You might be, it might be lawful for you because Christ has fulfilled the law. He's paid for the penalty for all of your sins, past, present, future. But do you want something else to be the Lord over your life? He says, your body was meant for the Lord. And then he goes on to say, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Now, some of you are thinking, whoo, dodged a bullet. I don't go and sleep with prostitutes. The word there is porne. It's to go sleep with someone who's sleeping around with other people, who's treating sex loosely, who's letting sex be the pursuit of their life. And I'm only talking in the physical sense right now. Paul says, never, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. We cannot have a conversation about biblical sexuality without going to page one. And that's why when Paul's quoting it, when Jesus is talking about it, they all go back to Genesis chapter one, page one of the Bible. Because if you're anything like me, I've been in the church now for uh, 20 years. 20 years this fall. More than half my life I've been following Jesus, finally. And I remember the crazy ways that youth pastors tried to get me to deal with my sexuality and sexual urges. I remember the, the rules that we had in the youth groups. Maybe some of this will ring a bell for you. Some of you guys, like me, kissed dating goodbye. You said hello to courtship. 
Some of you, like me, were in groups where maybe you could only wear uh, one-pieces because I've never met a man who lusts after a woman if she wears a one-piece as opposed to a two-piece. Never. I, I, I've met all types of humans, and I've traveled around the world. I'm confident that testosterone can reign victorious in sin nature no matter what a person is wearing because that's how sin and sexual dominion works in our minds. I don't know if you were like me, but I was told early on in my college years when Every Man's Battle, the book came out, and there were conferences on how to bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes, men, away from temptation. So when you saw a female that was pleasing to you, you're supposed to bounce your eyes off of them and onto something else. Have you ever gone to a beach, Floridians? Go to St. Pete or Clearwater Beach during spring break. Let's just take a church trip there. Because I want to see all the guys turn into bobbleheads if we're going to follow the advice of that book. Bounce your eyes, men. It's the only way to be holy. <laughs> this was the advice that was given to me. And then the advice was, girls, you need to cover up. Don't wear two pieces. Wear one pieces. If a girl was in a man's brain for one second, they would know how dumb that doesn't work. Wear a burqa. It won't make a difference. We have these rules for sex. When I became a youth pastor, the very common question was, oh, Pastor Ryan, we've been together for like three months, and I was just wondering, how far is too far, you youth pastor people? You guys grew up in the church, or you've got teenagers. How far is too far? And I asked the questions. And then I became a youth pastor and said, wait, you're asking me this question? When I was a, a Christian teenager, I was the honorary one in the youth group. I would be the one that was there. And the pastor would be preaching this. Don't you dare get your body too close. At the school dance is coming up. I know how you guys dance. And this is in the 90s. In the 90s. When we actually knew how to dance. Whatever they do nowadays, it ain't dancing. It's like electrocution of body parts. And my youth pastor would say, make sure when you're dancing at this homecoming, at this prom, leave room for the Holy Spirit. And then I'd read this passage and I'd be like, the Holy Spirit's in me, baby. The Holy Spirit's in her, baby. So there's no room. So I was smarter. When I became a youth pastor, I said, you leave room for a John MacArthur extra edition study Bible. Turn sideways. Because I was the guy who was finding every caveat. And they would say, how far is too far? And I would ask them, okay, wait, how are we going to talk about this? Because the church doesn't talk about sex. We just say, don't do it. Don't have it. Be pure. And we don't give a reason why. And that's why this sermon this morning exists. Because I never got the reason why. Someone just said, I became a Christian. Now what do I do? Stop cussing. Don't have sex with anybody. Nobody? Not till you get married. I got to get married. Oh my goodness. And then I became the youth pastor. How far is too far? I say, okay, are we, I don't know how old you are. I don't know what's appropriate in church because I'm new to this youth pastor game. Are we talking like in bases or are we still back at birds and the bees? I need to know. Let's just do bases, okay? Okay, so here's how far too far is. First base. I don't even know what the bases are, but I just said too far. I said, here's your role. Because I was a legalistic youth pastor. I just want you to bunt and sit down. That's it. You just wave at your future spouse. Hey! Well, what do you mean? Like, all my friends, like, they're going, like, first, second. I had daughters. As soon as I had a daughter, I'm like, I'm going to go steal every second base out of the world. And then I, I think about that often now because they're, like, growing up. 
my kids are growing up. My oldest son turned 11 yesterday. And I just look at him and I think, there is a hormone bubbling up like a cauldron of poison and sin in your body. And it's about to throw you toward bases. Please, Lord Jesus, help Jackson to bunt and sit. Because I know where my struggles are. But the church has done no good because we just give the list of rules of do's and don'ts. We're going to our Christian camp. Girls, when you go to Christian camp, you've got to wear a t-shirt. Because we'd rather drown girls in a lake. And you're like, what do you mean? Hey, Christian men, why don't you try to jump into a lake with swamp weeds fully clothed? That's what we did to kids at Christian camp so that the guys would not lust. Are you kidding me? The guys went there to lust. Christian camp. You don't know how many teenagers I pulled out of bushes at Hume Lake, California? I was a youth pastor with a bird's eye view. I'm six and a half feet tall. You, get out of the bush. You, that's for you. Get away from second base. Well, how far? What can we? Why? Why are these rules about sex? And this week I said, God, why in the world would you make sex so powerful, so explosive, so much fun, so much of a delight, and then just be like, well, then I just did a deep dive into the Bible. And it always goes back to page one. Genesis chapter one. There's this amazing weird theological concept that happens when God says, God alone is talking. Let us, plural, Father, Son, Spirit, create them, create man and woman in our image. God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit created us in His image. This is the first and the beginning of sexuality where it starts and where it finds its fullest meaning. Because me, as an individual male man. I cannot be a representation of the image of God. Wouldn't that be arrogant to think that like this body and soul could be this beautiful picture of God in his father, son, spirit, eternal cosmic love and unity, vulnerability and connectedness. And then I do that all by myself. God himself is father, son, spirit. God created us in his image. And then he says that that very famous line, the two shall become one flesh. And I said, God, why? Why would you do this? Why would you make sex this thing? Why couldn't I just multiply by thinking about it? Because there's something that sex gives us. And now I'm going to go past the physical act. Because the world wants to say we're in this romantic period of time. We've gone through like the, the platonic period where it's like, no, sex is this. Sex is utilitarian. And now the culture is in this period where we say, if you like somebody, if you love somebody, if you feel good about them, you can have sex with them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are, who you are. It doesn't matter connected level, commitment level. But God says, no, 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 no. I made sex for a very specific purpose. If you've read the Old Testament, you might have come across this very odd line. As a non-church person as a child, when I first read the Old Testament, it caught me a little while to catch on because I would read a verse like this. And Adam knew Eve, and they bore a son. Adam knew Eve, and they made a baby? I know a lot of people, but not like that. If you keep reading the Old Testament, there's this word, and it says to know to know this person knew this person and a baby popped out this person knew this person and a baby popped out and i'm so dumb it took me 17 chapters before i realized oh no means sex and then i looked up the, the word i wanted to know what it was and it's a funny word you guys the word to know it is yada like yada 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 
Like when you yada yada with someone's yada yada, then you pop out another yada yada. Yada? It's, it's wild to me. And here's why. God is perfect love, perfectly unity. Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, I pray that my disciples would have a, a taste of this unity that you and I have. But all the way back in the beginning, God created something to have this perfect, vulnerable, connected type of con- love and unity that only God has in perfection. And he said, I'm going to make it so that when you're connected to somebody, physically, emotionally, financially, legally, when you're connected to somebody with total vulnerability, they have access to all of you and you to all of them. In that moment of explosive cellular and spiritual connection, that is a taste of how the Father and the Son and the Spirit are connected and wrapped up with one another. This was the first main reason that God created sex because we are his image bearers and he wants us to have this moment where we can say, yes, this is so good, but it's dangerous, which is why God gives us guidelines. Because when I tell married couples, when they're getting married in premarital counseling, I say, here's what you're going to do on your wedding day and your wedding night. You're going to take a metaphorical gun and you're going to point it at your own heart and you're taking your fiance's finger and you're putting it on the trigger and you're saying I'm about to be more vulnerable to you than I've been to anyone else and I'm trusting that you won't pull the trigger and then they're going to put a gun on their heart and they're going to put your finger on their trigger because marriage is the moment where you can finally say this is all of me I'm no longer showing you my best this is not my online profile anymore This is the pictures that I hid from my online profile. I said I like dogs. Did I mention I murder cats? Like, this is the real me. Marriage is when you can be vulnerable in every way. The Bible calls it naked and unashamed. And here's why God says, I want this to be monogamy. Because monogamy today sounds like some archaic language. What do you mean? One person for one person? That's crazy. What if you don't like them for the rest of your life? Newsflash, you won't. There will come a moment in time, if you've been married for more than three weeks, where you look at them and think, nah, dog, you go yada yourself out of here. I mean, I've heard. In case my wife's watching at home. Love you, babe. This is this amazing moment, and God says, Here's why monogamy, because if you're with somebody in in any moment, they could just jump to the next person and the next person and the next person. How could you feel safe? How could you invest your life? How could you say, I'm here for all of you and you for all of me? How could you do that if they could just instantly break your heart and shatter you? And I know this is bringing up so much pain for some of you here. It's bringing up pain for me. It is painful, painful to think about this. But this is what Paul is trying to get to. This is what God is trying to teach us. That this knowing is so deep and so reflective of God's character. It's the closest sample that we can get of this total trust. And this total leading and sacrifice and leaning on one another no matter what. This isn't just a picture for sex and sexuality. It's a picture for marriage. And it's a picture for relationships. It's a picture for how we ought to be able to know people within the confines of God's boundaries. I think it's amazing. Like, you can know people 
They're your friends in ways more rich and intimate if you understand this concept of us being in the image of a God who is a relational machine of love. Because then I could know Jared. I'm not going to yada Jared. I'm going to know him as brother. You know how I know him? Because he's been bugging me. I haven't seen you in a long time. He said, yeah, I've been busy. And I'm an introvert. And my birthday parties. But he'll bug me because he wants to hang out. And I actually want to hang out with him. To know each other and to say, how can we build each other up? And that's a shadow compared to my marriage to my wife. And my marriage to my wife is a shadow compared to how connected you are to God. Because God sees the true you, all of you. When you're dating, you take the deck of cards that are your life and you flip up the best hand. When you get married, you flip up a couple other ones. The first time you lose your temper, life flips over those cards and your, your spouse starts to see the hand that you've been dealt and, and they go, well, I didn't know that I signed up for that. And I think some of us that are crafty enough, we can hide the darkest parts of our, our life. If our life of 52 cards has a few cards that are dark and desperate and evil and broken and in need of love and redemption, some of us hide those forever. Maybe even from your spouse, but God sees those and says, I still chose you. I see all 52 cards that are your life. I see all of your baggage, and I still chose you. That's the type of love and vulnerability that sex is the physical, spiritual connection, the economic and the legal ties of marriage, the emotional, the social, everything being unified together. We get to just, for a moment, be in that connected relationship that God is in 24-7. Man, that's good. So when the Bible talks about rules, it's like, how far is too far? I mean, I, that's the, the backwards question, right? That's what I tell kids. That's a backwards question. You're saying, how far can I stick my face in a crock pot full of boiling oil? Just don't do it, man. Well, it's, it seems so fun. Here's the thing that the church lied about, I think, for a long time, at least to me. We tried to paint sex as this terrible thing. And we've gone over it week in and week out now. Sex was created by God. God looked at it and said, yeah, I did a good job. He didn't make us to just divide. He made us to multiply. He didn't make sex this physical act just for procreation. He made it enjoyable. He created parts that serve no other function but pleasure. And then he wrote a book in the Bible about it so we can all have our pickup lines for our wives that we've joked about. But I love it. I love that God wrote a book with Hebrew pickup lines. I love that God gave us an ability to sample intimacy in this way. And some of you are thinking, I am so far from that. I've been married for so long. Like, do we still have to? I mean, what is it now? Like, sex, can we just be intimate by cuddling and watching Duck Dynasty reruns? Maybe. But there's something about sexual union and connection. When I, when I officiate weddings... There's two that I've done where people had not had sex prior to their wedding. Um, and that's a, a several, several weddings. And I, I tell them, you're not married until you consummate. Like, we're going old school Viking on this. We're not going to all hang out outside the tent like they did. But I need you to know that, like, this is the legal part. But you are not actually married before God until you become one flesh. Become vulnerable, naked, and unashamed, connected. That's when your marriage begins. And when I tell couples this, because I usually say it on their wedding day, like not in front of the whole congregation, but like to them privately, I say it leading up, and then that day I remind them, just a FYI, if you don't do your thing, you're not actually married. 
because there's something powerful about it. And I know that there can be pain from past abuses, from present struggles, from the amount of shame that churches have piled on to sexual sin. You may go into sex confused and scared, but it's going all the way back to page one. This is the picture. And then going to Ephesians 5, after sin enters the world, the marriage relationship becomes a reflection of Jesus' love for the church and the church's love and submission and respect for Jesus. And this is mutual submission to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians says. It's all a picture. It's hard, though, because the amount of sexual messaging in our world is screaming for dominion. It's saying, I want you to live for me, and I will, I will promise you that if you come for this sexual thing, then you will have this satisfaction. It's interesting to me that one of the most strict persons that I knew, they had rules for all of the sexual boundaries, they guarded their marriage, they did the date nights, they taught their kids the no-no song, like, stop, don't touch me there, this is my no-no square. They kissed dating goodbye. The most strict people that I knew about rules of sexuality and fostering relationships with others to keep up that barrier, they fell to a grievous sexual sin that shattered their family forever. Pastor. It was weird to me when I moved to this area because I believe in spiritual warfare that certain sins tend to be geographical. Like there's a spirit that tries to tempt people in certain ways in certain areas. Did you know that Tampa has a huge population of adult entertainment compared to other major cities in the United States? Did you also know that when I, I've been here for five years now, within six months of being here, I heard stories of over 10 pastors in the local area, Hillsborough, near this side of Tampa area, who had fallen to sexual immorality. Pastors, worship pastors, youth pastors, children's directors. Because it's such a message of something that wants to dominate our lives. Because this is the first thing God said, I'm going to show off a picture of this intimacy that we have in our being, and we're going to give it to these human people. And Satan says, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to twist it. I'm going to take it and say, it's just physical, it's no big deal. I'm going to take it and say, let's teach youth group kids to say how far is too far when their foot is dangling over the cliff. And I get it, you guys. I no, I have these things in my past. When I became a Christian, I literally called myself a born-again virgin. That didn't go over well with the youth group. Because sex is so much more than just a physical act. So, so what do we do? How do we, how do we move forward with all this brokenness and pain and addiction and pornography and, and the messaging of the songs and the movies and the shows? I don't have this verse. You've got you to open this in your Bible to get it. But it says right in verse 18, run, run, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is what I heard when I sinned sexually after becoming a follower of Jesus. How could you bring God into that? To which my answer was, sin made me do it. Testosterone made me do it. 
And it was just guilt upon guilt upon guilt. Don't you know that when you are a Christian and you go and you want to be with someone sexually, that you're bringing, the, you're bringing like church service into that? How could you do that? That's what they told me. How could you do that? If I were being honest, I would have said it was actually very easy. That's how broken I am. They weren't painting the picture of intimacy and love and connection. They were just saying, don't, 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 don't do that. Which is why I've had to counsel people after they got married. Big shocker. I've counseled multiple couples where wives could not give themselves to their husbands because their entire life they were told, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, and they expect in one night to flip a switch and now sex is good and a gift from God and let's sing hallelujah every time we have it. No. They had a mountain of pressure upon them. So instead of just shaming people, we have to keep reading. We have to start with where we read, that you are washed, sanctified, justified in the name of Jesus. That's verse 11. And then down to verse 20, you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you want to know how to overcome sexual sins and struggles, it's not by simply saying, don't do it. Don't be dumb. It's not by beating yourself up because I've seen that cycle of sexual sin, of crossing a boundary you know you shouldn't have crossed, of doing something you know is against God's word, and you beat yourself up, and you beat yourself up. And some of you here know, if you've talked to me about this, you know why I tell you, don't, don't beat yourself up. Why? Why not, Jared? Because Jesus was beat up enough. So here's how I tell people, if you want to you want to deal with sexual sin and struggles in your life with tendencies or inclinations or desires because there will be desires that you will have that go outside of the boundaries for showing off this picture for being in a vulnerable open connected relationship with one person so you can have a sample of God's creation love with him, with, with the father son and spirit you run and you speak the gospel to it and I've, I don't know why every time I say this someone mishears me or gets mad at me Literally, this is how I've dealt with any sin in my life, but specifically sexual sin, because sexual sin is committing against my own body. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to do this. So I speak the gospel out loud to my sin. And every time I say this, someone's like, I don't get it. It doesn't sound like it's going to work. Or that sounds sacrilegious, because I think we are free to sin. You're free to sin. You can go blow it. It's literally, you go into the graveyard, you dig up your dead things, and you play with that skeleton. But if it's dead, you speak to it. If a, if a sin comes up, instead of going to St. Pete Beach and just walking around like this all day and then telling my wife, hey, are you in your one piece? I don't want other guys to lust after you. My wife's a stone-cold fox. People will lust after her if she's wearing a nun outfit. Actually, I kind of, never mind. Okay. When I see sin, when something is drawing me away from this beautiful picture that I can paint in my relationship with my wife, I will speak the gospel out loud to it. Jesus, thank you that you washed me, that you paid for my sins. Thank you that you died for the sin that I'm about to commit. You say it out loud. Say it out loud to your computer screen, to your eyeballs. Say it out loud in your cubicle. And I don't mean whisper it. I don't mean like, man, women, you're struggling with some sexual sin, some thought of going to a boundary, not just one that crosses the sexual line, but one that, that would rob your, your relationship with your spouse or if you're single, your relationship with God as your, as your spouse until you can have one or maybe you never have one. But if something's going to rob you from intimacy with God or intimacy with your spouse, whether you're single or married, whether you're dating or courting, something's going to rob you from the way that God designed it to work, work in his kingdom, you say out loud, 
Thank you, Jesus, that you died for this sin that I'm thinking about, that I'm wanting to do, that I'm walking toward. Thank you that you died for it on the cross. Thank you that you washed me. Thank you that you freed me from this so I don't have to give into this anymore. And you don't say it out loud quietly. You don't say it out loud. Thank you, Jesus, that you died. No, you say it loud and proud. If you're at your office and something pops up in your computer and you're about to sin, you as loud and proud. Jesus, thank you that you died for the sin that I'm about to commit. And here's what you're thinking. I would never say that in my office. Because then I wouldn't sin. Duh. That's the point. Not to beat yourself up and say, how could I? How could I? Here's how you could. We're all jacked up, broken, messed up, horrible, wicked, depraved people because sin exists in us. But in Jesus, we are washed, sanctified, saved. We are perfect before God as far as the east is from the west. As far as the heavens are from the earth, so far are our sins removed from us. So we speak that right into the face of sin. We say, I'm be- I've been bought. Sex, you can't buy me. My body is not even mine anymore. It belongs to God. If you're married, it belongs to your wife and your Lord. I love this. It changes everything we think about sex because it's no longer how far is too far. It's how can I paint an amazing picture with my life that glorifies and honors God. Well, I have some homework for you this week if you're married. It's a goyada. And I don't just mean have sex physically. I mean, go be known by your spouse. Maybe there's things that you need to, to clear out and say, this is who I am. I've been hiding these things, but I want to be known. And trust me, when you share those things, you might not get the sex that you want, men. But yada, to be known by your wife and to know your wife or to know your husband is to be fully involved in their life. And I know we know all the jokes, right? But when I, when I want to have yada with my wife, I don't just walk in at like 9 p.m. Kids are down. I brushed my teeth. I wore deodorant. I think I'm ready to yada, yada, yada. No. I'm like, wake up that morning. You start to clean. You empty the dishwasher. Kids come home from school. You do all the things. I'll help them with their homework. I'll get dinner ready. I'll do the dishes. Right? That's part of yada for, for me and my family. For you, it will look different in your family. But to know your spouse, to know the one. And if you're single, you're like, Pastor Ryan, I want to yada something. Just, just the three M's for you. Single people. This is a quick advice. All I got, the three M's. I'll say it every time. Master, mission, mate. You get your master. You lock laser focus. And you run on mission that he's called you to do. Help the poor. Serve the widows and orphans. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to start Bible. Whatever you're doing. You run at Jesus with the strength he's given you. Say, Lord, you'll be enough. You'll be enough. You are, you are enough. And if you're running and you look left and you see someone that's smoking hot, you grab and put a ring on it like Beyonce told you to. Boom. That's how you find a mate. And then you can yada the rest. And you can learn the wisdom that some of us husbands have learned. Yes, some women are like crockpots, while men are like light bulbs. So if you want a yada, and your wife is more of the crockpot type, you start cleaning at 6 a.m. and you don't stop. You do all the homework, you do all the cooking, you do all the pots and pans. But maybe it's different for you, it probably is, hopefully is. And you just figure out how to know and love the person that God has given you to have a small small experience of his eternal cosmic spiritually 
explosively nuclear-powered love that he has within his being. And then, yada, yada, yada. So this week, that's your homework, married people. Yada, yada. Like, in the truest sense of knowing, naked, unashamed, intimacy, economic, legal, financial, physical, emotional, social, all of the aspects say, I just want to be known by you. And that for you may just be literally embracing and speaking words of life to your partner. If you're single, you say, I'm just going to pray and I'm going to run after the master, Jesus Christ, on mission for him. And if I happen to see someone that catches my fancy, I'll put a ring on it. And let's be that living picture. Let's show the world that sexuality is not just this physical act. Let's bring to the surface God's plan and intention for sex and sexuality to be a sacred thing that procreates from time to time, that is a delight, that unifies, and that has boundaries that are meant to show up, a perfect painting. It's such a beautiful thing. I wish someone would have told me that instead of don't have sex till marriage, don't have sex till marriage, don't have sex till marriage. I just never knew why. And this way is way more fun. Here's a fun fact as we go. Married people, according to some studies, and I can say that because you can say that nowadays, some studies, and nobody will check you on it. It's called fake news. But if you Google this, there's a lot of studies that have done this. Married people have a happier and a better sex life than, than unmarried people. Isn't that funny? I know some of you are thinking, they haven't pulled me. Maybe after you learn to yada, they can pull you. And there will be a different answer. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for <laughs> this amazingly confusing gift that you gave us. Lord, so many times in my life, I just wish that I could not have this temptation. But if I didn't have this sexual desire, if you didn't create sexuality and sex, not just the act, but the, uh, the desire to connect, the desire to be known and to know deeply. If you didn't create that in me, Lord, I wouldn't know you as well as I can know you. I wouldn't have the ability to experience this intimacy, so I thank you that you created it. Lord, help us as your people to know when to run and how to speak your truth into the face of the messages that this world screams over us. Help us, Lord, to flee. Help us to be faithful and not for the rules of it, but because we are free, we're free to not have to. And for those who have shame and guilt in their past, Lord, help them to be soaked on the fact that when the Bible says they were bought with a price, that it's not to their guilt, it was for their guilt. It's not to their shame. It was so they, they could hang their shame on the cross and be freed today. Lord, I thank you for all the forgiveness you've given me in this area of my life. Help us to yada well today. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.